You are listening to Press Church Podcast. Please enjoy this week's message. The title of my sermon this morning is called Pray for Me. And I have some questions that I want to start off by asking you today. First question I have is, do you think that God answers prayers? If you don't have an answer to that or you have a negative answer to that, well, stay tuned in and let's talk more about it. Another question I have is, whose prayers does God answer? If you do, one think that God does answer prayers, then whose prayers does he answer? Do you think it's only pastors, only the, the famous Christian leaders in America? Do you think he answers normal people's prayers, just random people like you and me? Next question that I have listed is, do you think God answers your prayers? Let's make it personal today. And If you think that he does answer prayers, and do you think that the prayers that you pray, that God answers them? The last question I have written down is, what about Jesus' prayers? Do you think when Jesus prays, God answers his prayers, right? I mean, if anybody's going to get their prayers answered, it's definitely going to be Jesus. And so... I want to talk to you today about a prayer that Jesus prays in John chapter 17. The whole prayer is John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26, but we're just going to pull two scriptures out of this prayer. And it's John chapter 17, verses 22 and 23. In verse 22, Jesus is in the middle of his prayer and says, And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. Verse 23 says, I in them and you in me, that they may, they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and you have loved them as you have loved me. If we go up to verse 20, it says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. We see Jesus praying this prayer right before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he specifically chooses to pray for himself, the disciples, and the last prayer that he prays before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane is to pray for you and to pray for me. And if you believe that God answers prayers, and we have to believe that God would answer the prayers of Jesus if he's going to answer anyone's prayers, we see him praying for us. And if he answers his prayers, and that means he believes, he wants to, he's willing, he's able, and he's ready to answer Jesus' prayer about you and about me today. So today we're going to look at these two verses that we just read of Jesus' prayer and see that his prayer is for you to be made one with the Father, that you may be made perfect, and three, that you may know that you are loved. The first thing we see in this section of Jesus' prayer is that you may be one with the Father. Jesus prays in John 17, verse 22, and says, The glory which you gave me, I have given them, which is you and me, that they, you and me, may be one just as we, being God and Jesus are one. Jesus asks that the believers, including you, be one just as Jesus and the Father are one. How is that even possible? That the way that Jesus and God 
are one that we too, me sitting here, you sitting there watching, can be made one just like him. You see, Jesus does all the work. He does all the work on the cross. And the way that we see me, you, and the rest of humanity believing upon that work on the cross become one with the Father is answered in John chapter 17, verse 22, the first part. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. So Jesus gives us his glory, and therefore by giving us his glory when we believe on him, then we are made one with the Father. That word glory in the Greek means a most glorious condition, a most exalted state. Another definition here says where Jesus is said to have been the same condition before his incarnation, before he became flesh and came to the earth. And even before the beginning of the world, that type of glory that Jesus experienced and what he was before he ever came to the earth and was made flesh, even at the beginning of the world, how glorious Jesus was, he gave us that glory. And because he gave us that glory, his prayer is that me, you, and all of humanity can become one with the Father just like him. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 26 through 27, starting in verse 26, it says, The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to the saints. Think about this. There is a mystery that God kept hidden from all different time frames, all different generations, which means Abraham didn't know about it. King David didn't understand it or know about it. The prophets didn't know about it. Even the disciples didn't know about it. Remember, when Jesus showed up, when the Holy Spirit fell in Acts chapter 10 on Cornelius and his household on the first Gentile converts, Peter had no idea this was even a possibility. And he says, well, I guess I've concluded that God is ready to save not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles. And in verse 27, it says, to them, God willed to make known that it was his purpose, it was his heart's desire that after Jesus came, after he uh, died on the cross, was buried in a tomb, rose again, ascended on high, sent out the disciples, the Holy Spirit came on the earth, the Jews rejected Jesus as their Messiah, as the chief cornerstone, that now it was open for us that God made it willed, that he willed himself to make known this mystery. He's not trying to hide things. He's trying to get things to you. Verse 27 says, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery. And that main mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the main part of the, the mystery. But it says here that there are riches of the glory in that mystery. So there's so much more to unpack, to receive, to understand Christ in you. That when Christ is in you, that means you're saved. When Christ is in you, that means you have the authority to use his name. When Christ is in you, that means the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells in you. When Christ is in you, that means you're no longer dead, you're alive. When Christ is in you, no longer are you hoping 
that one day in the sweet by and by, God will save you, that one day God's going to take care of you, that you aren't hoping that you're not going to fail, that you're not hoping that you're not going to sin anymore, that you're not hoping that something bad's going to happen or something good's going to happen. It says here in Colossians 1, 26 and 27, that the hope is of glory. And that word glory means a most glorious condition, a most exalted state, that Jesus's prayer and his desire for you is to be one with the Father. And the, the way that that happens is that he freely gave you his glory, the most exalted state that you could be right next to God, that you could be seated on high in heavenly places, the Scripture tells us. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21, it says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21 says, who will transform our lowly bodies that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. That he transformed our spirit man from dead to alive. He transformed our, our spirit man to no longer be dead and destined for hell. But by believing on Him, He put us in this most glorious state. And then we're still working out as we walk on this earth. Bad things happen to good people. There still is a devil who's out there trying to steal, kill, and destroy. But that's not God's hope. That's not God's future. That's not God's plan for you. His plan is for you to continually, the Scripture says, go from glory to glory. Not stay where you are right now. Not stay with what you dealt with in 2021. But to go from glory to glory as you step into 2022 and you become one with the Father. It's already happened in your spirit, man, and that you continually see that oneness flourish in your spirit, your, your heart, your soul, your emotions, and in your physical body. With my two kids, um, they play with Play-Doh a lot. We try not to, but somehow there's always a hidden tube of Play-Doh somewhere around the house. And when you play with Play-Doh and you get two different colors, as a kid, we were told don't put them together because you can't get them back apart. If I take a blue and a green and I try and make something with Play-Doh, the more that I put them together, the more the colors combine and the harder it is for those colors to come undone. That when the blue, the green, the yellow, the orange, the red, whatever the color is that I'm combining, when I get done playing with it, it's very hard to remove those two different color pieces of Play-Doh because they are one in the same. Jesus' prayer for you is just like that Play-Doh, that you become one just like him and the Father. How close Jesus is. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. My prayer for you my prayer for myself, my prayer for the church, and for Press Church specifically, that when people in this community see you, when they see me, when they see our church, all they see is the Father. All they see is God in His most glorious state, that He sees that He's doing something in you, that you once were lost, but now you're found. You once were blind, but now you see. You once were sick, but now you're healed. You once were a sinner, but now you're righteous. And that people in the community see that in you and your family and see that in me and my family and see that in you and the church. The second thing we see in Christ's prayer for you is John 17, the first part of verse 23. It says, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. So it's building upon the prayer that Jesus was praying. 
that Jesus gives you his glory, and by believing on and receiving his glory, then you become one with the Father. And not only do you become just one with the Father, you also become perfect in being in that one. That word perfect in the Greek means to be made perfect. It means to be made complete. It means to accomplish. It means to consecrate. It means to finish. It means to fulfill. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 through 19, the Scripture states, love has been perfected among us in this. So this is how love, and we know that God is love if we read in 1 John. 1 John says, love, or God, has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. Here's another example of the oneness, of us being one with Jesus and us being one with the Father. As Jesus is right now in His most glorious state, so are we right now in this moment, in this world. Verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out all fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Verse 19 says, we love him because he first loved us. When we experience the love of God, when we encounter the love of God, we'll talk about this in the the second part of the scripture, we experience the perfect peace of Christ. That we don't have fear, we don't wonder, we aren't scared is God going to chase me out of the garden? Is God going to is God going to be mad at me? Is God going to be frustrated with me? Is God going to be angry with me? No, no, no. That perfect love cast out fear. And we know that it says here as Jesus is so are we. And that we are made perfect when we say yes to Jesus. When we believe in him, we are seen through the eyes In the blood of Jesus, as God looks through us, through Jesus, he sees us as perfect. Amen. There are these French cookies that I make or try and make, and they are very detailed in the different steps that you have to make. There's probably at least seven different steps as you're cooking these cookies that you could mess up that could somehow, someway mess up these cookies. And you don't know if you've made these cookies right until you put them in the oven and you get them to start cooking. Step one, you're adding the dry ingredients and you have to sift them and make sure that all the impurities are out of the dry ingredients. Step two, you have the wet ingredients and you're, you're mixing them in a mixer and you have to mix them just perfect. Step three, you're, you're involving the dry ingredients and you're incorporating the wet ingredients and you have to fold them in correctly. And if you don't do it correctly, the cookies will be messed up. Then you have to pipe them. And you have to put them on a certain amount of paper, and, and you have to pipe them correctly. And then uh, step five is you have to let them sit for a long time so the, the, the tops of the cookies get sticky and, and they rise correctly. And then step seven, you're putting them in the oven at the correct temperature with the, the correct amount of time, and you have to make sure that the, there's no humidity in the air or the cookies will mess up. And you do all these steps, and you do step one to step two, and I don't know if the cookies are right. You do step two to step three, step three to four, four to five, six to seven. And I don't know if after all of those steps, after all my hard work, if those cookies are even going to come out remotely perfect until I put them in and set them for 10 to 12 minutes, and I open them and pull them out, and then I find out if the cookies are perfect or not. And I feel like in a lot of ways, that's how we we view perfection with God. 
We have all of these steps. We have all of these works. We have all of these things that we've lined out to obtain perfection in God's sight. And we're not going to be viewed as perfect until we finally get to the very end. And then we pull out and we're standing before Jesus and we're standing before God in heaven. And he's going to tell us if we were perfect or not. But that's not how God works. He's not waiting for you to get right. He's not waiting for you uh, to do all the works and do all the steps before he gives you perfection. The only step that you have to make is believe in Jesus. And when you believe in Jesus, he gives you the perfect work and he gives you, he sees you as perfect. He sees you as finished. He sees you as complete. Remember, Jesus is called the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He sees from the beginning to the end. He sees all of those things. And Jesus's prayer for you is that you be made perfect today, right now. And that you're not constantly striving to obtain or achieve this perfection, but that you understand that right now when you said yes to Jesus, you are already perfect in God's sight. That you don't have to work and strive and do all these things to achieve perfection. You can rest knowing that God already sees you as perfect. Now, yes, it's important as we go through life, as we, we share our witness in Christ, that we make the right decisions, that we make daily Bible reading and daily prayer and, and uh, attending church and, and giving and, and flowing in the gifts that God has given you, that we, we do those things, but not to obtain perfection, but we flow out of perfection. Perfection is our starting point, not our end goal when it comes to serving Jesus. It's got nothing to do with what you've done. It's got everything to do with what he did. And when you believe on what he did, an automatic gift that is given is perfection, that you are seen as complete and made whole. And the last thing we have in the scriptures, in John chapter 17, verse 23, says, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and that the world may know that you have loved them as you have loved me. That it's important that you know, and that Jesus prayed, that you know that you are loved. That you know that you're loved by the Father, that you know that you're loved by Jesus, that you know that you're loved by the Holy Spirit, it would be awkward if it says in the Scriptures that, that the same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells in you. It would be awkward if the Holy Spirit had to live in you and He didn't love you. That would be an awkward encounter to have somebody in your house that you knew did not love you or every time you messed up was in your house and huffed and puffed and was angry and frustrated you'd walk around on eggshells and pin needles, hoping not to anger whoever that person is. But the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you is love. Just like the Father is love, just like Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. God loves you. Jesus loves you. The Holy Spirit loves you. And he wants you to know that you are loved. That word loved in the Greek is agapeo, which means to welcome to entertain, to be fond of, to love dearly, to love in a social or moral sense. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us 
and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. Here's another scripture where we see love and giving directly correlated because God loves you so much, He gave you everlasting consolation or comfort and good hope by grace. Verse 17 says, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and establish you in every good work. Who's loved us and given us everlasting, forever comfort and consultation and good hope by grace. That you know that you are loved. Whenever me and my wife got engaged, people started saying like, oh, you won't believe how much more you'll fall in love with your wife once y'all get married. And, and, and the longer you get to know her, the more you're going to fall in love with her. And then when uh, I didn't have kids and, and Maddie got pregnant for Noah, people were saying, oh, you won't believe how much you'll love your children once you actually have your children. And I was like, I, I mean, people tell you that all the time. And I remember on our wedding night, we were in our hotel room, and Maddie had already fallen asleep. And I remember laying in bed and having this realization come over me that I was married. And I was now responsible for this woman for the rest of my life. If I'm being honest, as a human, as a man, I got a little fearful and thinking, well, I've got to go get a job. I've got to get a house for her. I've got to buy her a car. I've got to do all these things. And she just rolled over and snuggled next to me, and I realized, now I know what you're talking about. We just celebrated 10 years of our marriage, and I loved her more now than I did on that wedding night. I remember the first time I saw my son Noah. Maddie had a C-section, and they asked me to come over and check out Noah and look at him, and I remember looking down at this little squishy creature rolling around and crying, and the nurse looks over to me and she says, it's okay, you can touch him. And I didn't know what to do. I, I didn't know if I was allowed to. I didn't know what the protocol was. I didn't know any of these things. And she said, he's your son, you can touch him. And I remember in the weirdest of ways, I just did this little E.T. finger as I went down and just kind of poked him. And I'm pretty sure both the nurses that were next to me looked at me and laughed at me and couldn't believe how I was interacting. But then I reached over and I grabbed his finger and his little finger wrapped around mine. And all of a sudden, I had heard all of these stories of how much I was going to love my wife and how much I was going to love my children. But all of a sudden, in that hotel room and in that hospital room was the first time that I knew that they were loved. I finally understood what love meant when it came to my wife, when my spouse, when it came to my children. The Scripture says you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Not just hearing the truth, but it's knowing the truth that will set you free. You're hearing me say this now, that you are loved, but it's vital and it's important that you spend time with your Father, that you spend time with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit inside of you, and you know, you come to a realization without a shadow of a doubt, you know that you are loved. You're not just hearing the pastor say it. You're just not hearing your grandparents say it or the, the most spiritual person that you know, but you know it inside. And Jesus' prayer is that you know and have a revelation that you are loved by Him and you are received by Him. That we see in this prayer that Jesus' prayer, 
before he goes to the cross, before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, before he dies for your sins, before he is buried in a tomb, goes into hell and takes away the keys of death, hell, and the grave, utterly defeats and embarrasses the devil. His thoughts and his prayer was for you, that you would receive his glory, that you would become one with the Father, that you would know that you are made perfect when you believe in him, and that you also would know that you are loved. What a beautiful prayer by Jesus. And if he just prayed that prayer one time, and he just prayed over you one time, then that would be good enough for me to know that Jesus was thinking about me and thinking about you and all of humanity before he went to the cross and he was praying to his Father. And knowing that God's going to answer Jesus's prayer. But I want to share one last thing with you as I'm finishing, that that's not the only time that Jesus has prayed for you. And it's not the only time that Jesus will continue to pray for you. In Romans chapter 8, verse 34, it says, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore has also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. That is a present tense word, makes, which means he is right now praying for you and me. He's making intercession for us. Another scripture in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost. You aren't too far gone. This scripture says he can go out and save the worst of sinners. He can go out and save the worst person imaginable. To the uttermost, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. It is God's heart. It is Jesus' heart. It is his purpose to continually be praying for you. Not only did he pray for you way back then, he's praying for you now, and he's going to pray for you in the future. He is constantly making intercession for you, and the prayers that he's praying sound just like the prayer that he's praying in John chapter 17, and he wants you to know that you are one with the Father, that because the glory has been given to you, you are made perfect with the Father in his eyes. And he wants you to know without a shadow of a doubt that he loves you and he wants to see you do good things. Thank you for tuning in. We're so glad that you got a chance to tune in with us. We will be back together in person the first of the year on January 2nd. Come to church expecting a, uh, a word from him and to see God move in 2022. Let me pray over you, bless you as we head out. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you that it will not return void. I thank you that we are closing out 2021, and we say thank you for everything that you've done in 2021. And Father, we already say thank you for the miracle signs and wonders you're going to do in 2022. Thank you that you have made us one with the Father. Father, I thank you that we are perfect in your sight. And Father, I thank you that we know that you love us. So Father, I thank you for those people. Bless them, protect them, give them a great holiday, keep them safe throughout 2021 and bring them back safely January 2nd in church, in the flesh in 2022. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you. And we'll see you next year, family. God bless. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.